Um, all right. Anyone else uh, need anything else here? Oh, Joe's. Yeah, I, mean, I think I think do we feel like we're basically at the end of today's meeting? Yeah. Everyone feel good? Anyone have any last questions or anything? Oh, everybody's doing. Um... Yeah, there was no chit chat. This was just. Oh, we need chit chat. Okay, okay. All right, well, I'm going to go piss while you guys chit chat. I'm going to piss too. I'll be back and then we can do a round table or something. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, are you still working? Yes. Yeah, you're still pretty busy. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's funny because, like, we, we got into this pattern of like doing these updates. And so I was really excited about the update that I was going to give because it wasn't like a, I'm tired of the the particulars of all the things that are happening everywhere simultaneously to everyone. It's like, oh, this much and this and that, and this is what I'm seeing, that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, my life hasn't changed. I'm still going to work every day and it, it's still kind of surreal. But the after our call last time, I got really geeked out on a bunch of shows that we had done, um, mostly Dennis and SJ and I. Uh, so I'm, I'm noticing this strange synchronicity around the, the book series Area X in connection to Easter, but then it also is this um, connection to like economics too, because I think it was, I think it was the the Borges talk after after we had done our Borges book club you and SJ had this really long conversation that didn't get recorded about economics and um archons and things and then I also wanted to have a, a similar conversation and then Dennis and SJ and I met a couple times to talk about the movies Brazil Shining and sorry to bother you but there was this weird synchronicity going on with all that stuff. And so last week after I listened to like your voices for five hours, then I downloaded all these podcasts and listened to the voices for like four more hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I don't oh. know. I mean, so like, have you ever read Area X, Nor? No, no, I don't know that one. Cause I, 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 I haven't heard you guys talk about it either, so I should listen to that one. It was a book, it, I think it's number 226, and so uh, it was the it was the spring book that we did, and it we recorded the show not long after uh, SJ and Alan and Wally came to Boise for the spring sync, and so at the beginning of that book club, it starts with SJ, you know, relating what, what had happened basically the, the previous week, and then, and then we got into the book, and but the book itself is so fascinating because I don't I don't know if the author I don't know what the metaphor really is standing for because it, um, maybe you've seen the movie Annihilation. Basically, there's this zone. It's uh, what is you know that Strugatsky book I think, or maybe it's a film. Um, Tarkovsky, that uh, the yeah the stalker. Yes, that's yeah. That's one of my so favorites. In this one, in this one, there's there's this this there's a breach somehow reality is breached by this force and there's a border and they're trying to understand. And so you have this real in and out experience because like, you know, it's like a militarized zone and they're trying to explore area X, but you know, there's this, this 
polarity you know there's the in and the out but then the deeper you get into this trilogy you know you realize that this this idea of separateness is really it's way more porous than you think but somehow that's all mixing in my head because as we have that conversation in the book club we automatically slip into like we talk about viruses and like the idea of mind viruses and how how slippery trying to keep a border up is yeah that sounds sounds similar to the house also eh? yeah <laughs> yeah it's still that one's still under my skin too i just joined on facebook the house of leaves book club um which is pretty huge there's a lot of people on here um so I, I sent a link of the thing I just did for my blog, which has a, a, a bit of stuff on the House of Leaves. Um, yeah, so this group has 7,000 members in it. Um. But the, the interesting thing is, so like in Area X, one of the key features, there's a lighthouse, but then there's also this thing they call the tower but it's not uh, you know one of the other people says it's not a tower it's a tunnel. i mean i think we chose the book because of the tower aspect of it there's just a lot of really interesting synchronicities that arise and so it, it part of it is how our different books talk to each other over the course of the years yeah and this one definitely setting up some of those other because we kept talking about the tunnel the tunnel the tunnel and i just as i was listening to it last week and i was thinking i wonder if we should be reading the tunnel now i'd be into it i um my reading slowed down though because I, i've been so focused on what's going on and, and things but did we I don't lose alan alan went to take no. a pee i think oh he, he might have came back now I, I gotta go. Oh. I gotta go for just a sec too. Snor, do you want to tell us just quickly an update on how things are and and where you are? And the, I mean, is there any updates on the, the situation that you can that you want to share or that you think are relevant? I think he just got up to go to the bathroom. Oh, oh he said why don't you take... do the same thing? Okay, I will. I just, I, with the, he was saying he's going to take a whiz, not that he has to leave. Okay, okay. So I thought he was saying you might have to go in a second. Okay, I'll do the same thing. Yeah, so I'm here in Batumi and um, really hasn't been much of an update since last week. I mean, I think the big movement was the, the initial lockdown was kind of the shock to everybody's system, you know, and here that lockdown took place maybe a week and a half ago or before the last call. But it seems like everybody's adjusted to um, to the new normal here, as it were. You know, there's no restaurants open. There's no businesses open that aren't essential. The grocery stores are open. And I went uh, two days ago, and it was quite smooth. There was, wasn't packed or anything. Everything was on the shelf. Now, mind you, this is a smaller city. Um, so it's not like it's a mad rush like some of the American cities I've seen. But uh, the, I guess the one other thing I'll share is that it, I'm happy to see that the, the boardwalk is still open. I was yesterday went for a long walk and there was all kinds of people, old, young, um, 
there and they had some had gloves and masks some seemed to be distancing some were maybe with their friends and were a little closer together but it just it warms my heart i guess that people are still um, realizing that going outside going outside is a is a thing that is good for the immune system and people are still taking advantage of like good weather and the natural environment um so that's kind of the only updates I'm, i've seen i mean uh, here um, and I guess in terms of the collective, we're all in sort of a holding period as Italy's cases have now uh, uh, what they call flattened and the, the people in America are saying what April, you know, maybe at the end of April, this thing is going to hopefully begin diminishing. So that's what I'm looking for just in terms of the collective uh, moment is this end of April into May. I'm hoping everybody's going to kind of get some relief here. So that's sort of my wish. But how about you, Doug? How are things in Boise? Um, I don't know. So uh, we're experiencing exponential growth in Idaho, for sure. Um, I think I might have said last week we were at 400 plus cases and now we're over a thousand. We only had 10 deaths in the state. Um, life goes on. Um the kids are definitely moved into more of an online learning thing. They're pretty much calling the school year at this point. So they'll be doing online school stuff until, until June. So um, I don't know. I, I think it, personally, the thing that I'm thinking about is how it's just inevitable at some point that someone near me is going to get sick, like in my workplace we're so uh like just so out there and you're putting a lot of trust in you don't really know that well like in your family like the idea of quarantine's easier because you're all for the most part you know behaving yourself but um the people that i work work with i don't know how they live their lives or what they do or anything and so mm. i would think that I don't, I mean, I'm not necessarily worried. I definitely do not want this thing. And um, yeah, so I think, you know, from a work standpoint, I'm starting to plan for like, I'm training people as backups because I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. So yeah, uh, I wish I had more time. I still feel like my life is exactly the same where there are things that I want to accomplish, and I find myself at work way too much. But I shouldn't complain because I'm super fortunate to keep getting a paycheck. So, yeah. How are things in Japan, Zar? Um, it's still pretty surreal. Like it, um, there's no lockdown here. There's no official lockdown. The the government has been telling people to uh, stay at home, especially on the weekends. But then. Like now is a Monday morning. Everybody's going to get in the trains to go to uh, to Tokyo and go to work. So, and the numbers keep rising in Tokyo, especially over the last uh, week or so. It's been it's been going up and up every day. Um, and and where I live, they've extended. Uh, I, I mean, they've. They've canceled two weeks of school, uh, and then otherwise, um, yeah. There's no, there's no lockdown. You can pretty much go where you want to still. 
um, people are thinking it's gonna the hammer is gonna drop any time soon, but uh, so far it really hasn't. Are people behaving differently than like normal as far as like you were saying that one of the early thoughts was that just normal Japanese culture somehow inhibits virus transmission? A lot of people in this in this season have allergies anyway, so people are used to wearing masks. Um, and, and just in general, pe uh, people in Japan wear masks all the time. Like if they catch a cold or they're worried about catching a cold or they have a zit on their face or they didn't put on their makeup for that day or whatever, or they're just feeling shy. Everybody wears masks all the time. Um, so I think there are more masks now, but that's got to have had a had a part in kind of slowing it down here. But uh, people are worried now because it's it is the numbers have been coming up. What about so like, I think Germany has a lot of cases, but not very many deaths. What about? And that might be that they're like really on top of their testing. So other countries might have just as many cases. It's just that they haven't, they don't have the data to actually, like we're comparing these different, the, these numbers, but I don't know if we really should yeah, be able to, yeah. Yeah, they're not comparable in, in, a, in a certain way. Like they, uh, like in Japan has not been testing that much. Like if you look at the, the rates of testing here compared to other countries, it's way down here still um but uh but the deaths are are down as well so that that does sort of indicate it's not hitting as hard here some people are saying that maybe uh, and i think this is the case that that some of the deaths attributed to things like pneumonia were really from uh from the coronavirus but they weren't uh weren't included into the stats um but like yeah, like you said, every country sort of has a different standard of what of 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 testing and and what to include in their in in how many people have it and how many people have died of it and it's it's there's no there's no universal standard for any of that, so it's just kind of all you can do is look at trends from country to country and sort of how uh, how they relate to each other. What about you, Alan? What is what has your been, week been like? You know, here here is the same as it was uh, last week, which is, um, I believe, maybe was it last week that I, um, it might have been more recent, I, I mean, I'm no, losing my sense of time here, but they did announce in Virginia the uh, stay in place order is until June 10th. Did I tell you that? No. Wow. Yeah, so... Yeah. Um, so that means restaurants and bars are essentially closed until June 10th. Correct. Yep. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Wow. I'm, I'm at least out of, out of work that long. So you're out of work until June? Is that what you said? Is, is that an official policy? I couldn't hear anything. That's, uh, the, so the statewide official policy is like the whole like stay shelter in place or whatever they want to call it this, this week is... Um, until June 10th. So that was a, the governor's executive order in the state of Virginia. So, um, you know, that means only only essential businesses, quote unquote. But I mean, you know, I mean, the essential business is so fucking whacked. I'm sure you know, we all know this. But like, I have a friend who works for um, technically like as a, like a bill collector 
Um, and he's considered an essential employee. Tech, he's like, well, I guess it's it's like I work for a bank, so it's, like it's like a the banking mechanisms have to be in place. But literally, and like, if you called me, I mean, first off, if you called me for a debt collect from a debt collector, fuck you anyway. But then you're gonna do that like in the middle of this. I I'm sure that's a worse than usual situation all around. So. Um. Yeah, I was going to ask you guys about, uh, I was hearing all this, um, people advocating rent strikes, especially in the States. Has that, has that really happened? Have you heard more about that? Or, oh, um, Alan, are you still there? Okay. Did you not hear that? No, it, it went out again. Um, how this many one of us is only are happening here? right now. Yeah, how many of us are actually still here? It yeah. got better for me when I disconnected and I came so back. So it's SJ, Zanor, Doug, and me. Is that it? Yeah. All right. This is a lot better, so I can hear you perfect, Alan. Uh, Alan, I'm just, reading, uh, I'm just reading a headline now that you might be interested in. It says, the Bronx Zoo tiger test positive for coronavirus. Oh, my God, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, can you send that to me? That's... Well, you just go to Google News. It's everywhere now. It's a huge, uh, huge story. Um, on the rent strikes, Nor, I, mm -hmm. I heard you asking about that. I mean, um, so I'm, I'm not speaking about Georgia now, but I am speaking about just my friends in America and what I've read is that, you know, a lot of people are at least, um, you know, the landlords are saying, well, you, it's not re directly related to the strikes, but they're saying, well, you can not pay your rent if you don't have to. We, we won't evict you and um, we'll delay our eviction maybe another month or two. But once that delay period is over, you're going to owe all of the back rent and we'll evict you then uh, once we're able to or once this delay period is over. And uh -huh. so it's, it's kind of this distinction between um, rent freeze and rent cancellation, maybe. Like one of them, you know. And so I'm not sure how the strikes are work are playing into that, but you know, at least for policymakers, you know, saying well, rent is not owed for two months and never will be owed, is one thing. Saying we won't evict you until two months later, and you don't have to pay. Uh, we'll wait for payment then, plus interest, plus fee. You know, so. There's some tr some trickiness to it. Um, I'm hoping that people. It'd be interesting to see where it goes. Uh, you know, rent strikes. If they gain enough steam, maybe there will be kind of a one-time forgiveness uh, once this thing gets back to normal. And that's again the, the big if, right? I mean, that's the one thing I'm looking at with all of this is there's this hope for for like June. I heard you, Alan, saying something about June. You know, the president or the president. You know, uh, Dicky Trump, tiny Donald. Donnie Tiny Hands is saying, uh, you know, May, you know, and so, um, you know, that's where kind of I'm watching. Is this thing going to open back up with some kind of new social distancing norms or, and this is what I'm kind of fearing, is there going to be continued lockdowns for like another two months and another two months? Because the longer it goes on, I think social unrest becomes inevitable at that point, at least in yeah. some locations. It's already it's already starting in some places, like in the in the south of Italy. I've heard, and even in Israel. I was going to ask Joe about that. I forgot about it, but I, I've heard in Israel some, like especially Orthodox communities, are kind of 
resisting it. Uh, um, in Brazil, there's there's sort of protests of people inside of their uh, inside of their apartments banging pots and stuff, um, and that's happening in Spain too, uh, to the presence of military on the street. Um, and then there's and then there's word of of uh, huge defaults in mortgage payments also, which the danger there is that it's the same thing as after 2008. All these mortgages are bundled together in in, uh, in derivatives packages, and so once again, there's nobody who knows the effects that that's going to have on the on the on the wider economy or the wider like um, financial side of the economy. Yeah, I mean, this thing could get pretty dark pretty quick. And I mean, I'm hoping that we'll have to just see, you know, I mean, they already delayed it once, right? The April, the April 12th date, the Easter now to April 30th. And if there's a lesson from China, I mean, I, I'm still in touch with my friends there. You know, they've been doing this, this, this dance, this delay dance for since since January, since early February. It's just mm. been all right, we're opening up here, no here, and it just keeps getting pushed back. And um, people have adjusted to these online like uh, businesses and online lifestyles. I know if um, but I don't know if that you know there's much more of a check on social unrest, I think in China um, than there is in a lot of other parts of the world. And, did you uh, see, did you see the uh, the footage of uh, all those people trying to uh, um, because they had let up on their lockdowns in in Hubei province? Uh, a bunch of people were trying to get. There's a scene of people trying to get across this bridge and and then fighting with the police to try to get across. And looked like a massive outbreak of unrest there. Um, I did see that, and I think that was about there were, had been like a particular um, fight between that, that police and some of some abuses that were maybe localized, mm-hmm. and so it actually was like a tit for tat. And it, it to me that didn't seem like the kind of unrest which is like a generalized um, attack on you know businesses or just kind of anger boiling over. It was more like I think those police had abused someone, and mm. they were you know that was my understanding. Um, and it was really about that police force versus the Hubei province police force. Right. And okay. They're kind of, they're kind of warring. It might start like little sparks like that, and then and then reach a more sort of generalized uh, movement. Or it, it hard to say. You know, it's hard to say. I just don't think that the whole energy of of uh, the mass of protests on the streets from last year is really died down. It's just a uh, just kind of become internalized now and and whenever there's going to be a lull in this it's going to just spark out again everywhere oh yeah and that's why i think the the government policymakers you know they've gamed this they ha- and with their ais and with their you know gaming uh you know skills and they've got to know that that as soon as the this thing gets gets opened up, there's going to be a rage. I mean, this is Occupy Wall Street, right? 2010, right. two right, years right. into the financial. And this is like the 10, 100 times, 1,000 times the financial crisis in terms of the velocity of the crash and then, and then the unemployment, uh, the kind of economic reverberations are way greater. 
Mm -hmm. I think that's why you're seeing people like Bill Gates. I mean, he came out, I saw an interview this week. I mean, he's just like offering up greatest hit after greatest hit for, for conspiracy theorists and for people to become angry at him. But he's saying, you know, we're not going to basically let up for a long time. He's advocating a long-term shutdown. And, you know, at, at a certain point, governments might coalesce around this idea as a way to prevent this inevitable uh, unrest. And I, I don't know if it can work. I mean, it's definitely not going to work in every city because some people are just going to say, you know, we're going out. I don't care what you tell me. Um so yeah. you know, it's a big concern, Zamora. It's a big, 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 big concern, and um, I, I, you know, uh, shoot, it's scary. This is what scares me more than anything about this: is the economic unrest. Sure, like I'm, I'm sort of having this debate with a friend of mine here about, uh, like, he thinks it's 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 all under control. They've all they've they've planned this, like. By they, the, he means the elite or whatever, and they've they've completely planned it. They may have they. He's sort of unsure if the if the virus virus has been hoaxed or the virus is is way weaker than than they say it is. But he's convinced that in any case, the governments have decided amongst themselves to fully lock down and introduce this new system. Um, and then I'm countering that with this. Uh, the idea that nobody knows what's going to happen, including those people in in control, because the the economic system is so complex that it's impossible to model. Like even these even these these top investors, like whiz kids of Wall Street, they have no idea what's what's happening or what's what's going to happen. It's completely unprecedented. Um, so even though the governments, it's obvious they have these kind of martial law contingency plans, there's there's no telling how this is going to spin out, you know. Yeah, I mean my sense on that is that the details are basically uncontrollable and how bad certain things get. I mean, in terms of where things pop up and how it happens, but like the big trends are kind of surfable. And you see like in the in the bailout legislation, um they already have legislation ready to go for digital dollar. I don't think that was included in that bailout. But I mean, it was like, okay, here's the reforms we want. And it's already, these bills are often already written. Yeah, and yeah. So, so I think there's kind of surfing big picture trends. But yeah, whether or not Chicago is the first tinder keg to go off or it's Arizona or, you know, I think that's well, you, a lot harder to, to predict. Like you have these things like the uh, the USS um, Theodore Roosevelt, right? And the uh, and the captain came out and said that we're going to have to evacuate this ship because we've got coronavirus cases on it. Um, and then his message got leaked out, and now he's fired because of it. Uh, but that's a huge thing, you know. It's like uh, that affects the whole geopolitical situation. Um, like taking out an, an aircraft carrier. And the other one is the, uh, the USS Ronald Reagan. And it's, it's based in Yokosuka here. And same thing. They're not, they're not even releasing information about what's happening with it, but it looks like it's out of commission too. So that's like two of three aircraft carriers, huge aircraft carriers in the Pacific that are out of commission. The other one is, the other one is, is basically out of commission too. So it, it just made this massive, uh, journey it was in the Mediterranean it just came back now to, to San Diego 
So it's like uh Are you not gonna mention the um the Mercy getting attacked by a train because a guy thought it's part of a government conspiracy? Yeah, yeah. I don't I have no idea about that. Like what do you do you know anything more about what what well that's the hell what, was that? it, what's amazing to me is how little press coverage that's getting. First yeah, that like you would think trip. that would be like here it is, sign of um uh, so almost like uh, ter- you know, America loves its fucking terrorism. You know, holy shit! Some ch- homegrown terrorist that tr- tries to drive a train into our fucking battleship, and that's <laughs> that's that's a big fucking thing. Yeah, <laughs> the fact that it's sort of like quiet is weird to me. Like they're almost like let's not even encourage people to think in these terms. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, also, just you what the way it changes the geopolitical strategy. I, I don't. You said like because by taking out a battleship here or there, it changes like the the power structure. I don't think that really changes the power dynamic. Like a battleship is not. Oh, this is an air, this is aircraft carrier. These are massive. Like there's only there's only two or three anyways that that are in the uh, in the in the Pacific station in the Pacific. Anyways, these are huge. You know, like a. Um, basically, bases at sea is what they are. You know? Right. That's well, like that's taking... what I want to say is that I think this also plays into almost more so than because America has all these other things it can do, you know, launching missiles or whatever. I almost feel like the bigger way in which that story influences the geopolitical power structure is how many Republicans can all these like pro-military pro-Trump people, I have to assume, would see that as, you know, almost like Trump society, you know, going against the, the strength of the military. I, I, I'm wondering if that if that's how that plays out or if they're just like, it's really a shame he had to do that. His hands are tied. You know, I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure in this case. I, it, it wasn't a decision from... Uh, the government it was it was actually the captain of the ship who who pulled the plug on it um which he wasn't he, he didn't get fired for that um he got fired for um leaking the information or having that information becoming leaked um, i think he didn't follow protocol as far as how when he sent the yeah, email yeah he had to leak it to get his fucking thing shut down like literally he was saving the lives of his men by getting like and that's you know man that's true here we had a fucking restaurant here you know a local place where it's like they're trying to like bury that somebody's got a fucking disease or something and it's like they'd rather keep the before things are shut down it's like well this guy's got a fever but just keep it quiet because maybe it's like that's happening everywhere you know someone's making a decision of like shush 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 maybe it'll go away that happened to my fucking mom's job so it's like I think I told you guys, my mom's job, they, she overheard, she, like, I don't, I don't know if I should make this too public, but to say, like, she would overheard her boss discussing with another manager the fact that they knew someone in the building had been exposed to coronavirus, and it wasn't like, maybe. So, like, the guy who, in, in New York, there was, remember, before they shut all New York down, they just shut out this one area of Yonkers. And it was like this space of like, oh, we're just going to contain it in this town in New York. Well, that guy who gave it to everybody in that town, his wife 
was the one who came into the building and like, well, he's gotten everyone sick and now his wife is here. Like, we know this is probably a problem, but they didn't want to tell anybody. And she kept waiting for them to make an announcement. And that was like four weeks later. And they've never told anyone that that fucking person was there. But now like multiple people from that office have gotten sick. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, there's all these things like maybe if we just stay quiet, it'll go away. We can keep making, you know, Anyway, that's that's uh, the, the Japanese government approach, I think. Yeah. So this decision by this this captain would seem to me of being like, hey, if you if my superiors won't listen to me, I'm going to make this widely known. So it has to get shut down. Right. To yeah. save my men. And that, and I, I respect that. I'm not I'm, I'm not pro military in any way, but I respect the fuck out of that. Yeah. I think it's worth jumping in on uh, here because and. Um, and this is something you were talking about earlier, Znor, but to me, this is why this is the perfect storm uh, of a moment that if you want to go the pandemic route, and I, I don't think that the pandemic um, theory depends one way or the other on uh, the virus being the nature of the virus. Like the virus could be any of the theories that are posited about the virus, and you could still have this kind of pandemic model. Um where the response to it has kind of been game planned. And I think you see the Rockefeller document that's being floated in all of these you know, channels and all over the web from 2010, where they have the lockstep model of what the, of, of governments cracking down on populations because of a pandemic. So, I mean, clearly this has been in the consciousness of, of some powerful people for a while. But just to go back here, I mean, I think it's worth people's time to study the testing and the, some of the science behind... COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, how it's tested for and how it's um, coded um, when someone dies in a hospital. Because my understanding is that right now there's kind of a move to overcode deaths as as COVID-19, um, according to the official like FDA guidelines. If, if you suspect someone had COVID-19 when they died, that's going to be... Uh, coded as a death caused by COVID-19. So they're kind of shooting first, asking names, uh, taking names later with this thing. And, you know, I'm still, and this is going to be a year, I mean, decades, centuries of unpacking by researchers of finding out exactly what's going on. So let's just, there's a lot of confusion, but, you know, from what I've seen that the the overall death numbers, I've seen this claim made, um, are not rising. but you do have, like, for example, pneumonia deaths in America are way down, but COVID-19 deaths are up. And so there's kind of an evening out of the actual overall deaths. And so to us, to, there's some people making this case that this is really more of a pandemic of coding, right? And so I say all that to, say, to, to bring it back into this point you guys are talking about is that everyone, someone's going to have it everywhere you go because someone gets the sniffles and feels bad every year, you know? And if COVID is coming up in these tests, I mean, that's what scares me the most is that it's a perfect storm to kind of shut down almost every part of public life because there's no way we're not going to be around someone that tests positive. Um, and, and, and just to take it back to what we were talking about earlier, I think this, this flows into the, the length of the lockdown and the shutdowns. It almost seems like they're going to have to continue for a long time um, because I don't think that the symptoms aren't going to go away because the symptoms are always here every year. 
in, in some magnitude. And, and that's what kind of is another aspect of this that's got me concerned. These symptoms aren't going away because they're, they're indistinguishable from flu symptoms, you know. And so this fear is going to be pervasive for, for how long, you know. And then uh, wh- what do we do with that fear? How do governments respond to that fear, which is almost guaranteed to stay here? Yeah. Um, yeah, I would just add to that, that definitely happening. Um, the thing about it is that it's, it's happening, uh, it's happening in different ways in different countries and, and, and even different regions in different countries. And like, as Alan was saying, even different business decisions, like, um, so all, all on these different levels, uh, the authorities, whoever they are, are making, uh, the decision to either underplay it or overplay it. Um, and I don't think uh, at this point um, there's a general uh, trend one way or the other. Like you still have, you still have governments like Japan um, that are still trying to underplay it. And a lot of, I, I think there's a lot of governments around the world who are doing that. And even within the states, um, you have different states, different approaches in different states. Like New York obviously is testing tons of people and they're coming up with tons of different cases. Other states are, are taking a, a more lax approach. Um, so I don't, I don't know yet if there's a general trend or there's a coordinated uh, consensus among governments as to what to do with this. And that's exactly, I mean, and that's my sense too, Nora, but it's so interesting, right? I just saw a headline my brother sent me. It's like from some publication, I can send it out to you guys if you want, but it's like the Sweden experiment, if it works, Mm -hmm. everybody's fucked because Sweden has not closed anything down. Their cases are lower than a lot of other places. And if, if, if it, when this is all said and done, if that's the, the final print, that Sweden didn't shut down its economy, and it, it questions like the current science, the just scientific justification that policymakers are using to shut down the economy. And so, as this gets on, as, as this unfolds, and this is kind of what I was saying earlier, like there's going to be a lot to unpack to try to really understand what's happening. Um, but yeah, you put places like Sweden, Belarus, where I was spent a lot of time years ago um, they're just saying fuck it i'm going to die in my boots that that's what their president said they're out playing hockey everything's open and i don't know, know if they've seen an explosion um but yeah it's it's a it's it's a global event and so there's this variance like you're saying nor but it'll help us later to compare to try to understand exactly what's happening here you know yeah that's the thing that we won't know we don't really know anything about this virus until until it all is over and done with like people are coming up with all these different estimates of the case fatality rate and and the rates are different from country to country and 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 how much testing is done and everything else um what what is included as a death um people who die with it or die because of it or like all of that and so at the end we will have we we won't know anything until the very end until we can uh get all the numbers together but uh, i'm sort of thinking that it's going to come to the point where we'll never know you know well this will always be a, a question um, yeah, it'll be it'll be like the 
it'll be like 9-11 or the, the assassination of Kennedy or any, any other big event like that. There will always be questions of what actually happened. And so, yeah, so not- can I read you guys real quick? Uh, I, I took a screenshot of this headline from this morning. Um, let's see. Surgeon General warns this week will be, quote, our Pearl Harbor moment as coronavirus death toll rises. And then this is from inside the article. Well, it is tragically fitting that we're talking at the beginning of Holy Week because this is going to be the hardest and the saddest week of most Americans' lives, quite frankly. Um, this quote, this, and that's, that was a quote, and then the quote continues, This is going to be our Pearl Harbor moment, our 9-11 moment, only it's not going to be localized. It's going to be happening all over the country, and I want America to understand that. Yeah, and even people are bringing up now, Alan, to piggyback, um, the Project for a New American Century document itself talks about a new Pearl Harbor, but in, in it, it does mention uh, bio-warfare. And I'm not, not to say this is bio-warfare, but it talks about people are saying that, and I don't necessarily, I have no idea, but that there the, is kind of, yeah. I just, I just saw some news just recently just this morning actually that uh now the the uk government is not ruling out that this is a bioweapon not necessarily that it's bio warfare but that it is maybe an accidentally released bioweapon um so for sure and i I also want to just say alan and and zor here like the the one thing i've really noticed and since we talked last it's become abundantly clear is that the representations in the media of this event are very much World War II like. I mean you're seeing like the clapping for the, the words that are being used, the language like our frontline fighters when, when we talk about nurses and doctors um, there are um, I mean it goes there's a there's a there's all kinds of stories saying this is a World War II like these oh, bre- uh, the bread lines that, that there was rationing during wartime in World War II. So I've seen a bunch of mainstream stories relating to, like, my grandmother uh, is helping me right now. She told me about rationing during World War II, and I'm relying on her experience to help, you know. So it does seem like, I mean, in the mainstream, there's a, there's a connection between World War II and the present moment in terms of the symbols, the representations, the energy. I mean, the Queen came out, I saw her speech, was like, this generation of Britons will be known as the greatest fighting, I mean, it's like a, the new greatest generation. <laughs> um, and so that is shocking. I mean, I mean, just saying it now, like, my jaw is just dropped, like, damn, it's really hitting me. We're living in a moment that's like an epic 70-year cycle moment, you know, um, in terms of how it's being played in the media. And, and then, of course, the reality with the economic stuff continue to deteriorate. I mean, this is a wild, wild times. So that's, uh, can I sort of jump in here and say, like, I keep alternating in my mind. And I think you, you hit hit it with this, like, this article about Sweden and whatnot. It's like, it is being played up like it's this, you know, moment, this defining moment of, of all our lives. And the question is, is it, like... It's almost like, A, is it actually, or is that, you know, part of the sensationalism of it? And B, the, the thing would be almost like, yeah, but if even if it wasn't going to be just hyping it to that extent, 
you're going you are creating your it's a self-fulfilling prophecy by like by tanking our economy you're making that happen by uh, Trump, let's say, let's say this is all totally, and there's no conspiracy involved, then just literally Trump fumbling this response to this natural pandemic is a life-changing event, right? Like all these things, uh, no matter how you want to play out, like what is happening, there is this element to it that um, if we like get our, let's say this, this thing isn't that bad in the next few weeks and we reopen everything and we kind of get back into place, it could be, I don't know, less severe. But again, if this does continue to play out as the way it is, then it's like, well, is this a secret war with China? Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but it might lead to that if you yeah. keep doing, if you create this power vacuum and these weird sort of situations this there's there's some weird shit there so um again i guess that's the point go go ahead i just want to say that i guess that's sort of the point of our attempting this ritual but it's to, to hopefully avoid some of those things but um but yeah go ahead go ahead yeah no this is a, this is to me like the most interesting thing of this moment just this what you raise this distinction that you raised alan because it's an unknowable we can't really answer it but we can say that the distinction actually is worth exploring and what comes to mind for me is world war ii and world war one you have many historians writing about those events in the 70 years since the conclusion of world war ii making an argument that they were actually planned events by by elites you know and um, and I am somewhat persuaded, like, and you look at World War One, especially World War One, and Paths of Glory is kind of about this, right? These generals are just sort of sending the the, the basic idea is that it's planned to sort of um, you 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 send poor people to die for the benefit of the wealthy people that are actually related to each other in these countries, and so there becomes this kind. And I'm not I'm not like married to anything here, just to be clear. But there is these these kind of persuasive arguments like um, that the car that the Archduke Ferdinand was assassinated in, uh, in has that 11, 11, 18 license plate, Armistice Day, 11, 11, 18. Um, and I would encourage people, don't trust me, like I, I can get some of the, the, these, these writers, but there's people that say, listen, this is probably maybe a contrived event. And so I think no matter what's happening in our current day, we have to consider, like, is this just a contrived event where there's a creation of this, it's this feeling of it's wartime, you're special, you know, do what we tell you, go along with our plan, you know, and, and then you kind of pull these symbols to get people uh, mentally and emotionally uh, aligned with what you're asking them to do to reform society. And to me, that just seems more logical. But I'm sure Znor probably has a different opinion on it. Um, well, I, I, I think I, I just think it, it's that and something bigger. And I think that's uh, that's what Alan was suggesting, maybe as well. Is is that uh, it could be that for sure. It could be that. But even if if it's the official story, whatever the official story is, and I think that's fragmented too. So, but if if you say the official story was that this is a uh, a virus that came from the wet markets of Wuhan because um, there are all these exotic 
species who are sort of interacting in these in these markets and that carried from one species to another and ended up being a a, a global pandemic and governments at first tried to uh tried to just sweep it under the table and not let anybody know about it and then afterwards it got it it expanded to the point where they had to do something about it and that's basically the pattern that has repeated around the world even if that is what's going on um it's huge you know it's it's just it's just massive thing and so i i just see it as this response that you're articulating that it's all a planned event and uh there's there's this overarching meta-national plan to sort of shut down everything and introduce this new new system entirely um that is is one facet of what's going on only one facet of what's going on it's like uh um because i i don't think anything will be entirely resolved we we won't know uh we won't know even in the future what uh, what what the plan was you know it's not going to resolve nicely um we still will have no idea it's not going to lead to a new a new world order it's just going to increase the chaos you know so it's there's always a question okay so it's order out of chaos but where does the order come in you know it uh it it'll just be more chaos it'll just be more areas in the world especially probably in the south like um india now is is just is ramping up you know if that if it really hits there it's going to be a massive thing um other places in the world it's going to, it's it'll be similar uh so if if it's a master plan and the master plan is to sort of create a new order out of it um i just don't see it happening you know it, it's not uh there are attempts and there are all these contingency plans to to bring us down for sure to lock us up um to control our movements everything else um but uh whether or not these have everything has been planned um and i don't even think that's uh, humanly possible in a way um so this goes to who are the controllers if there are controllers who are they like if there are controllers and they are doing it, it we are talking about archons or aliens or something um but for the rest of it it just uh we're just in the thick of something that nobody has a clear idea what's what's happening i'm going to i just want to say alan do you want to jump in here or i i i i've got some thoughts here um go, go ahead i wasn't i'm not yeah oh yeah okay okay just uh, no, I mean, it's Nora, and I'm with you, and I think that, uh, you know, speaking in absolutes of, like, everything or all is planned or controlled, I don't think, I mean, I wouldn't go that far either. I think that there's, it's more like assigning a percentage, like 70%, 80%, or something like this, or even that a plan exists, and then you kind of implement it in real life, and the messiness that is real life, that necessitates that you can't control all or everything. I mean, I think that what we have... Uh, is like World War One. I, I just posted in the chat, and people can link to this. James Corbett, researcher James Corbett. He's a really excellent kind of um, just researcher dealing with geopolitics, and he's just really insightful, and he sticks to like official documents. I think he's, he's got, in the, he's in Kobe here in Japan. Yeah, he's in Japan. He's Canadian too. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah so he's but he, I just I'd encourage people to watch that that uh, documentary. 
and, and I, I mean, again, the, the, the question of how much. Oh, the other thing I want to say to Kissinger, you guys should see this. He's got a new uh, article in um, one of the big London or European papers uh, that says a new world is upon us or the dawn of a new world because of COVID-19. Um, I'll get that headline and read it up to you for a second. But I mean, this is we can look at empirical data here. I mean, after World War One and World War Two, was there a new world order installed new for that time? And I think that there's a some kind of confident yes that emerges from that. Would, I mean, you yeah, think, yeah, it's you know, there's no there's no denying that the uh, the thing is, was it planned? You know, like it, after a after a major traumatic event like that, like a world war. Um, if anything is going to emerge, there has to be a, a new order that would emerge. Um, but, but the question is, was it planned from before the war? You know, like um, a group of people planned for the war, made the war happen, and already before they had done that, already had the the new world order set up um, for what's going to follow after the war. You know, that's the thing that I that I doubt, and it it's. It's, this has been something I've, I, I've been obsessed with this stuff for, for years and years. And it, it's just things that I've come to, you know, it's like uh, there are plans that happen, but uh, they don't get carried out in, the, in, in exactly the same way. Like people with this, with this pandemic, they point to that, that paper, the Rockefeller paper from 2010. And uh, in that paper, it's talking about the, the lockdown scenario. And it's describing, it's describing a pandemic that happens in, in 2012 in this scenario. Um, and you read it, and it, it seems pretty scary. It seems pretty dead on. But, but that's, only, that's only one of four possible scenarios that they outline in this paper. And the other ones, uh, it, they didn't happen, but they could have happened. You know, it's, it's it, in another timeline, if, if only a little some other little things were, were tweaked, those scenarios could have happened. And then in that timeline, those people will be looking back at the Rockefeller paper and saying, ha, ah, they knew about it, you know? But they're just outlying different things that could happen, you know? It's like, a, um, and the same thing with this uh, event 201. If you, like, I've, I've, I've looked at the video, like some of the video that they've done, like they, uh, they videoed the entire conference. And... It's scary too when you when you look at it. It's talking about this uh, this coronavirus uh, pandemic. In in their scenario, it starts from Brazil with pigs in Brazil, and then spreads around the world. Um, but it's it, when you look at it, it's like yeah, all these people are trying to prepare for the virus before uh, prepare for the uh, the pandemic before it happens. But none of the things that they recommend governments did to prepare are actually happening in in this pandemic and and that's what you hear from like I'm, I'm not I don't believe people like Bill Gates but that's what you hear him saying also is like we warned people about this for years we warned governments about this for years and they didn't prepare and and from one perspective it's like yeah he's right in a certain sense it, it doesn't it doesn't look like they have prepared in the in the in the way that they were recommending in all these different uh conferences um so they there's not a complete matchup it just feels like uh governments and big think tanks and all of these groups have all of these multiple scenarios of things that could happen 
in the future, and they pre- and they try to prepare um, for all of them at once. Militaries do that too. They they have all these sort of contingency plans of different different military situations that might happen. Um, and so, if any of these things happen, you can then look back and say, "Aha! See, they planned for this." But that was only one of the things that they planned for, you know. So I will say, I mean, um, if you if anyone wants to look at the plan pre World War One and Two of a global world order, I think you have evidence for it. I mean, you um, and I go back to these documents a lot because they're so striking. But the Roundtable groups and the and Cecil Rhodes and his will, um, there's a clear design and desire for this kind of global integration and global governance. You also see it with the League of Nations. And so that's another piece of evidence you can look to is that when they keep going out back for the same bite out of the apple, right, you get the League of Nations, it disintegrates, then you come in with the UN after World War II. I think that's evidence for kind of a script or a plan that then you're implementing um, uh, after, uh, you know, uh, over uh, with with multiple attempts. And so I do think that the world order after World War II has the um, uh, you know, some supporting evidence that it is that there is a plan before, it, that was you, written before you, the war. Hold on, let me you, just go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I, I was just, I was just like, do you see my point with that? Though it's like, uh, it, of course they've made plans, and and they've made all kinds of different plans, you know. And after the fact, you're going to go back to the plan that that matches with the reality, right? Well, no, but, but it doesn't. My... But it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't mean that it was a successful. Uh, or that it was the only plan. I think is yeah. what your point is. Yeah, there's like a million plans, and maybe this. And it's either this is the one that either looks the most true, or is the plan they went with. But the, yeah, the, that's, that's the distinction. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Like these are these are think tanks. These are these are sort of um, policy groups. And that's what they do. They they make contingency plans for every possible scenario. It's it, well, not not every scenario. And this is this is my answer to this this line of argumentation. I think there's a really good answer to it. Is that, and even in war, you make contingency plans, but you don't change the goal. Right? The goal is victory, and you you don't see in the Rockefeller document the plan where the central banks go away and people are you know there's no kind of no, control. That is that is system. that is. That is one of their uh, scenarios, actually. It's um, there's four of them. I just looked at them yeah, the other day. I'm looking at it now too. I'm looking at it now it, too. And just, here, go ahead. Well, if you if you've got it up, like you can, um, can you can you can you uh, just lay down the four of them? Like the the first one yeah. is lockdown, and then I'll the, lay them down right now. I've got it up, but let me just finish my thought before I go into this. Is that I think what we'll see at least in three or four of these, the plan includes certain common features these scenarios at the end of the contingency. And that's what I would argue is their goal, right? And that goal is pretty uniform. You don't need to have it in every plan either. I mean, the idea that you would have to, if you don't, um, you know, I don't see as evidence that there's not a plan um, that you have some different contingencies that you've considered on how to get there. Like to me, that doesn't flow. Just, I don't think that flows, you know what I'm saying? And there's, and I don't think I'm arguing or anybody that's arguing that there is a plan here would would say that there's only one plan. And if it doesn't get implemented to the T, there was, you know, then that's a failure. Right. I mean, there, you've got to these people are you've, always in life. You've got to be flexible with plans. You know where you're going, but you have to be adaptable. Um, and so I think what we'll see here and, I, and I'll read the four in a second is that the plans, at least some of them include technological integration globally. 
and so and I think that is something that most people would say is part of this plan of a new world order that you have surveillance capabilities you have abilities to have uh, you have the capability to have more efficient economic controls through technology and through surveillance um, you know integration global integration uh, amongst governments to where you have more of a and I hate the word this like one world system because it sounds such like a Christian conspiracy theory but I mean, I do think you have global integration using technology to have this kind of global control. And I think we'll find that common theme here in, in many of these plans, maybe not all of them, but in many of the plans. So let's go through here. Hack attack. Uh, let, let me read them in order. You've got um, th there's a section at the beginning of this document, and it's called the, at the beginning. They go through the four. Um, and just uh, Sorry, can I just yeah, just to clarify, this is the. 2010 Rockefeller document, or this is something else? That you're can reading? you can you send a link to that, SGA? I had a link, but I can't find it at the moment. I will. I'll send it right now, and I'm going to send in the chat. There's a little chart here. It's um, it's a grid with the four scenarios. You you have the actual document, right? Yeah, it's and I'll actual, send a link yeah, to the okay. PDF. There's a link that you can just yeah. That's the one I had. Right that's here. the one I had before. Yeah, it's a great it's a great link here. Um, here it is, and then check out this picture. This is really what I want to talk about right now. Um, let me see here. And, and just to say, um, you know, I think at some levels, Nor, like, we're going to, we might be, I'm not even advocating for an extreme that everything's planned, and I don't think you're advocating for an extreme that nothing's planned, right? No. There's some, there's some overlap here. It's a question of how, mu how, how much is or isn't. And that's something that I don't think we're ever going to have a definitive answer on. Like you might feel different people listening to this might feel differently about how much is or isn't. And I think you admit some. Oh, is. God. Sorry. Yeah. I just pulled up your PDF. This like this ripple is literally like that's the image I used for our last uh, always record. <laughs> oh, wow. Like like literally <laughs> that's. Uh, yeah, this is. Uh... The document isn't coming up for it. Oh, it's, it's still. But I remember the uh, the hack attack. I was reading that just the, the other day, and that's sort of uh, that's sort of a scenario where things go out of control. You know, that there's sort of this decentralized kind of like out of control movement where you have all these hackers and, and crime syndicates and, and decentralized uh, players all doing their own thing, um, and. So, how they how they sort of coach this uh, couch this document is is that it's like uh, as um, philanthropers, uh, screwing that, but uh, um, philanthropists, I suppose. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> um, how how uh, how they can deal with with each of each of these four scenarios, right? And so. Yeah. It, so, in a sense, I, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not arguing that uh, they don't want victory. They don't want their own sort of uh, uh, sense of things, like how uh, their own idea of what victory is. But um, and that's the same with military planning as well, you know. But uh, the the danger is, I think, is is looking at an event. And then finding these plans and saying, "See, they planned this, and it happened." You know, um, 
it's like they planned for something like this possibly to happen, but they made all kinds of different plans. Um, and so that doesn't mean that they caused this to happen. There's no cause and effect um, relation. Not, necessarily. Mean they didn't, though, either. It doesn't mean Necess- they didn't, Necessarily, though. right? Um, but uh, I, d- I don't know. I just think it's, there's a wider picture involved, you know? What's the danger? I'd like to explore this a little bit with you more, like the danger of, let's just forget the scenarios and the Rockefeller document for a second. Um, and let's just go with this idea, this statement, and let's explore how it, like why it might be dangerous or how it's dangerous. And there's danger in everything, but I think it's worth unpacking. Like if there is, it's true that you have, I guess, elites, let's call them quote unquote, and we can say this is a loose net, a network of powerful people that's as a limited uh, um, in number, say a couple thousand or something, that had an interest. Are these elites that we know? So like when I think of an elite, Bezos, Zuckerberg, those are elites. Uh, Gates, they have billions of dollars in power to influence political systems. Are you speaking of a group of people that we don't know? No, I'm, we we don't even need to go there. I do think there's probably a metaphysical component to how Snor, just what Snor was saying earlier. The plan is not the only way to look at this. I mean, I think there's other metaphysical angles. But let's set all that aside, Doug. Yeah. Let's just say the powerful people in our world: Fortune 500 CEOs, Fortune 100 CEOs, foundation money, um, and people like Bezos. Just what you said that are connected to military intelligence, big banks. We know there's a nexus there. Just all the stuff that's already in the official newspapers and books that we that are not controversial here. Powerful networks of people that have an inordinate amount of control in our system that run the, the hierarchical. I think we all agree there's a hierarchical economic system where there's there's haves and then there's a lot of have nots. So just the people at the top of that system that are in power. Let's just go there. I don't think we. So what's my question is what's dangerous about the idea that these folks maybe had a, have a plan here um, and to bring about uh, a world in which their control and their power and their seat at the top of the hierarchy is um, there's a continuity and, and, and so there it's more about survival for them to ensure that they remain in control against let's say like massive social movements or uprising or what have you so, I mean, is, how do you see that as dangerous? If we just consider this kind of loose idea, powerful people in the hierarchy are putting in, putting in place a plan to ensure their control and their dominance. There's you know? no, there's no I, I would say there's no danger in that, putting it like that. But uh, what ends up happening for a lot of people is like, yeah, powerful people are in control and they want to, uh, they want to perpetuate their power and expand their power and and their plan is working there there's no there's no going against their plan it's 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 basically um it's basically a done deal we don't have any means of resistance to fight against it right and so the danger with that you know is uh overestimating your enemy like that this is basic art of war stuff like don't underestimate your enemy but don't overestimate overestimate your enemy either you know um so th- I, I think there's a big danger in thinking that there's this omniscient and omnipotent uh, power elite who uh, basically controls the fate of humanity and they play us like puppets, you know? 
if that's the case, this is what I keep arguing with my friend who, who sort of has that viewpoint. It's like, if that's the case, then why bother at all? You know, why even bother to resist them if you already, if you already agree with them that we are just puppets or, or mechanisms, you know? Um, so that's what I see the danger as, as being, you know? It gets to the point where we, uh, we deny our own power in the face of this, this huge, massive power that uh, controls everything and determines everything and is able to predict everything. Um. Yeah, and I agree with that completely. And I, and I think that you can kind of hold both of these things true. So the statement can be true. And at the same time, we can maybe have another statement that's also true is that I have power as a human being. And my power and the full reach of the power that I have is something that I commit to explore and to and to embody and to not sell myself short, um, you know, and figuring out what that is in a world where there is kind of control that some things are out of my power. Right. Like that's to me the heart of this question. What is yeah. our control and what can we do? Exactly. That's that's for me. I totally agree with that, too. Like just. In, in researching this, you know, like, like for years and years, you get to the point, um, so you get to the point where it's like, okay, governments are conspiring against people, but there are, there are agencies beyond the government, like, uh, like the deep state or the CIA or whatever, and then you get beyond that and you say, well, maybe there are secret societies beyond that, and then, and then it's a matter of, well, who are the secret societies? Um, they're controlled by even more elites who are, have, secret masters or, or secret chiefs or the archons or whatever. And then you get to these sort of extra dimensional entities or, or deities or whatever. But then um, this is the sort of turning point for me is that, that I started looking into uh, Tibetan Buddhism. And in Tibetan Buddhism, there's this, uh, there's this ritual called the, the Cho or the Chod. It's spelled, it's spelled like Chod. And, and this ritual is, is that you go out um, into the mountains in a... Uh, in a sort of uh, desolate place, sort of a terrifying place, usually a place where they leave bodies out uh, for sky burial. Um, and so you might have dead bodies around, you might have wild animals around eating these bodies. But the ritual is to summon all of these demons um, and basically let them have your body to tear apart the exercise is to get to the point where you realize that all of these things are entities within your own mind and that basically reality is mind. Um, and so that's the next step is, is, is just sort of realizing that even if there are these archons and entities and demons or whatever are in control and I'll even go that far, you know, um, um, your own imagination or your own mind is beyond that, you know, is a step beyond that. Um, so, so, uh, that's, that's the danger I see in this, in this kind of like, uh, I, I almost see it as a kind of archon worship. Like everything is, is, is under control. Uh, um, they've got it all figured out. You can't do anything and blah, blah, blah. Continue like this. It's like, uh, if you, if you go along that line, um, and I, sorry, I'm not saying SJ, you're doing this. I'm just saying in general, you know. Yeah, for sure. um, We're taking this to an extreme and exploring. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. So, so it's like uh, if you if if a person's taking that line, you know, it's like uh, 
the risk is that you deny your own power, which is in that tradition in Tibetan Buddhism. And, and I, for me, that makes the most sense. It's like, that's, that's a sort of ultimate power. The, uh, the power of your own mind or your own imagination is ultimate. And uh, just to, to follow here, see, you're articulating what I feel is the danger if we don't consider this postulate that there is people that are kind of planning something that we're not told about, you know, that there is a, a level of a veil behind the MSM, the mainstream narrative, because to me, that's the danger if we go the other way, if we just trust kind of the dominant discourse, if we trust the moneyed representations that are that are kind of foisted upon us by, by these people that have the power, I mean, the six corporations that control the media, for example, like, if we don't question that, if we don't say, well, hmm, what's these people have a lot of power and a lot of money and a somewhat clear agenda here, like to not ask the question of, well, hmm, let's connect the dots of the power in the system. Let's analyze, let's do an uh, archaeology of power, as Foucault might say. To not do that, it's the same danger that you're articulating. It's a well, no, worship in I, a way of, of not going into your own mind and letting your perceptive ability call out truth as you see it at that level. And so this is the, you're, we're saying the, the complex nature of reality is you kind of lose both ways. Uh, no matter which way you go, there's a primacy in realizing that your mind is powerful. Your thoughts, your perceptions are something you can't give away to a narrative, no matter how you ascribe reality, you know, no matter what you ascribe to reality. I think that's the, what I'm seeing as the overlap. Well, yeah, the thing with me, I, I guess I, I just, um, it, because I've gone through this whole, the, this whole course myself, and I, I have the feeling that, that we all have as well, you know, it's like I'm not unique with this, you know, like Jake, Jake Kotze was saying this back in uh, like 2008 or something, he was like the... Uh, the eye and eye, the eye in the pyramid is my eye, you know. And then people were shocked when you said that, you know. It's like, uh, so I feel like the impatience that I have is just, it's just the impatience of, okay, we've already, we've already determined that, that there's this archonic reality that that is there, you know, it is there, and we've analyzed this for for years now, since since 2001 at least. Like for for me, it's before that even, but uh, um, so. Let's take that as a given. For sure, that's happening. Um, but then let's go beyond it. Let's let's get to the point where it's like, okay, sure they're doing that, but our own imagination is stronger, you know. Um, so maybe maybe there are people still who have to like like wake up and take the red pill or whatever and realize all that they realize the full control of things, you know. Um, but so, uh, but I don't I don't think I don't think we are there anymore you know like the, I, i'm talking the four of us or, or maybe a wider circle of people you know but where it becomes and this we've talked about this before but in the abstract it's easy just to say yes there is a controller but um, let's go beyond that on the eye in the pyramid like that's a conceptual hat you can put on and see if it fits and in, in like your morning meditation or in your worldview and i don't mean to be a bit dismissive of it i mean that's very powerful but to me the rubber meets the road when worldview and reality frame meet decisions that one has to make on a daily basis. So, for example, when the local uh, uh, authority says you're going to put this little uh, 5G transmitter right next to your bed, 10 feet away, 
Are you going to do it? And they tell you it's safe. Are you going to do it? I'm not. I don't trust what they say about that. And some people would say that my lack of trust and my non-consent to something like that would be, they might use my fears that they're going to use this idea. Well, it's just your eye in the pyramid, man, that's in you. Don't worry. Sit next to the transmitter. When we have the science that's been uh, suppressed and repressed from Europe, that those things can cause really ill health effects. And so my Would, point is that this gets this gets very dicey when we have to make decisions about our lives. And when someone's saying, I don't consent, no, I don't believe that, I don't think it's safe, when when that's being dismissed because they say, well, there's no conspiracy. And I'm not saying you're doing this, Nor, but this is how I think this stuff can kind of play out. Um, that that this is really where it gets difficult. You know, are you going to take the mandatory vaccine, for example, with the COVID thing, if it is mandatory, or if they say you have to take it to go to the grocery store, you know, and if you say, no, I'm not comfortable, I think this could, uh, it was rushed, I'm seeing science that says there's risk, and they tell you, well, hey, that's a conspiracy theory, you know, so do you see where I'm going with this, Norm? Do you yeah, see yeah, yeah, yeah. difficulties I, here? And it's, um, you know. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying exactly. I, I don't think what I'm trying to say uh, um, goes against that necessarily at all. You know, it's like uh, you still have to deal with realizing that, okay, realizing that uh, um, ultimately your imagination plays a part in, in creating the reality completely. Knowing that you're still you're still in this world, you know. Um, and this is, it, this is, I guess... From my background in Buddhism, it's you get to that point. It's like uh, um, mountains are mountains, uh, rivers are rivers, and then mountains are not mountains, rivers are not rivers, and you come back again. Mountains are mountains, rivers are rivers, or whatever it is. Um, uh, the same thing. You have to come back to your you have to come back to your daily life and and deal with these decisions in within your daily life, and you can't. You can't go against science. Like you're not, we're not to the point of Neo where you can just soar up into the into the air. You know, it's like uh, we're we're still having to deal with actual realities. Um, so of course, be aware of all of that stuff. The only thing that I'm saying is that uh, um, don't let it get to the point where it disempowers you. You know. Um, so I I always go back to that that part in um, 1984 where. Uh, Winston Smith's in room 101 and he's being interrogated and his he's just been tortured his whole body is emaciated and everything else and it's like uh, they're asking him what he believes in is there anything that he believes in the, and and so he's saying I believe in my friends and then and then the state is saying well your friends betrayed you you know it's like there's nothing to believe in if 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 it's just your friends and he and he's like, well, I believe in whatever. I forget what he says, different uh, different ideas or something. And finally, they ask him, uh, do you believe in God? And because his um, the whole society of that time, Airstrip 1 or Oceana, is, a, is an atheist society, so he answers, no, I don't believe in God. And you get the sense that right at that point, because he doesn't believe in anything higher than the actual situation, He's doomed, you know. They've got him, you know. Um, they've got his soul, basically, and that's what happens to him. He ends up like I love Big Brother, you know. Two plus two equals five. Um, so that's that's sort of the major point I'm trying to make is that um, 
sure, we have to deal with the situation on the ground and we have to know the, that these power structures are in place, you know, all of that. I totally agree, you know, um, but underlying it all, we have to know that there's something more, you know, there's something bigger, there's something that they cannot touch, you know. Um, the other scene is like the other scene that always keeps coming in my mind is um, uh, in the Lord of the Rings. Um, Frodo and Sam are in Mordor, and it's right at the peak of despair. Like it's just they're almost dying at that point, and uh, Frodo's passed out, totally burdened down by the weight of the ring. They have they're they're running out of food. They're running out of water. They have no idea if they're going to make it to Mount Doom. They they they've given up the hope of ever returning and then sam is is lying back and then the clouds open up just a little bit and there's the stars you know he sees the stars and he's like wait a minute the stars are up there and that's that's this whole other bigger story and that we're a part of and uh and that gives him complete hope you know it's it's this sense of uh can I can I there's something bigger that that yeah go ahead so you told me about this tiger at the Bronx Zoo that tested positive for coronavirus and I don't know if you've been following like what I've been posting on Facebook yeah, it's just that's... every day someone sends me something like this you know um the a book just came out called the second life of tiger woods and uh someone just sent me a thing oh uh Donald Trump's son just tweeted out a thing about his dad as the Tiger King. And so this is like all the time, right? So uh, anyway, I looked up this article that says um, the uh, Tiger of the Bronx Zoo now has coronavirus. And the tiger's name is Nadia, N-A-D-I-A. And I looked it up and Nadia literally means hope. And... um, you know, part of that, is, you know, as saying it now, it's like, well, that's like the Obama hope and all that sort of stuff. But um, I was thinking of it in terms almost like I, I saw someone make see all these like weird memes of like how fucked up t- the this year is. And it's like um, I saw a meme that was something like Pandora's unboxing video. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's like it's a joke basically like, oh, everything's fucking coming out. Everything's whatever. But there is a version of Pandora's box. Uh, that story, there's two versions of that, and the one sort of nicer version has that the she does unleash all these ills upon the globe, but the last thing inside the box that is just snuck down at the bottom there is hope. And um, I don't know, I'm just thinking of all these things and what you were just saying, and just wanted to point out that this tiger's name literally means hope. I think um, uh, Alan Hope is a really nice word because when Snor was speaking, my um, mind went straight to the Shawshank Redemption and it's the most powerful scene. He climbs through the shit and the, and the sewer and then he uh, you know, is in that rain and he looks up. At, or actually, it's not that scene, but it's the scene where he turns to Morgan Freeman and they say, what, you can't take away hope. You know, that's something they can never steal or rob or take away. Right. And, and to me, um, we're, we're now back into the Gnostic realm because this is what the Gnostics, uh, you know, say. I mean, it's I don't see it as as a disempowered. And I, I want to get back to this thing, Znor, because I think we're in agreement, basically, Znor. It's a it's a way of our, how we're articulating our fears and our worries. But we basically agree we don't want people to be disempowered. Right. But, you know, the Gnostic idea of the divine spark. You know, we have mm-hmm, this divine mm-hmm. spark and we need to quicken that. You know, and it's also the Advaita Vedanta, which is something I've I've been influenced by. 
uh, you know, the notion that there is this Brahma, uh, this this kind of transcendent oneness that's inside of all of us. It's it's um, you know, it's not on the table. I mean, it can never be given over. I mean, you know, it, we can repress it with our own you know mentalities, but you can never give that over. And um, you know, and I just to summarize here, I think your concern. Uh, is that people are disempowered by kind of going, maybe giving power away to the idea that there's there's controllers and giving too much credibility to that. You know, my concern is that if they don't analyze that for purposes of their of their on the ground decision making, they might be giving power away and hurting themselves. But we both agree we're divine beings and the cosmic oneness. No one can take that away, and that fact it needs to be primary. This hope, this type yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. It's some. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, go um, ahead. No, that's just yeah. no. Uh, I, I totally agree, especially what you said about the Gnostics. Like, you, you, in in a way, the Gnostics are the uh, some of the first conspiracy theorists, you know, like and and cosmic conspiracy theorists, right? They thought all of reality is 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 fallen, created by these archon entities, but even though they had such a bleak view of things, and that's even bleaker than the most absolutist conspiracy theorists out there now, in a way, you know, because they're saying all of reality has fallen. Um, but even with that total bleak view, they have, like you said, this idea of there's a, there's a more transcendent God, and that God is perfectly mirrored with the spark inside of you, you know? The, and, and, that's, and that's what able, enabled them to resist, you know? If they didn't have that, um, there'd be there'd be no no hope to resist, um, no reason to resist. Even you know, it's like why not give in to it then? Um, so, if you take that Gnostic view, I I I completely uh, I, I would completely agree with that. You know, the the danger I see, and this is this comes from people that I I talk to often who. They don't have that extra viewpoint of the extra viewpoint that the Gnostics had of of the divine spark within. Um, that's gone, you know. And so they're just left at the level where there's an archonic control over reality, um, but there's no way to resist it, you know. And that, to me, if I felt that, I would. I'd off myself tomorrow, you know, kill my whole family, you know, like what, what's the point after that, you know? And so, um, that's, to me, that's the biggest danger. The biggest concern is, is to get to that level of despair. Um, like there's a danger in hope too. There's a danger in, in a false hope, you know? Um, and even people talk about it just from an activist level. Like if we, if we come in our activism thinking that there's going to be a victory, and we're going to be successful. And then when that inevitably doesn't happen, because usually it doesn't happen, um, we get our hopes shattered. Um, so that kind of hope is, is also dangerous. But I, I'm talking about a, a deeper sort of intrinsic hope, which I think you're, I see you're talking about as well. You know, um, If that's not there, um, that's when we can become completely disempowered by these theories that uh, there's, a, there's a sort of, our content control over all aspects of reality. Yeah, and, and just to say the um, the collocation for hope, you know, with the verb is you place hope in, 
and 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 I think it's very important just to say, you know, yeah, we're place. I'm placing hope in the divine spark in this kind of transcendent divinity. Let me read the quote from Shawshank Redemption. This is what he says: "There's something inside that they can't get to, that they can't touch. It's yours, hope." And so, to me, it, he's really saying he's placing hope in this kind of transcendent part of the self. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and not placing hope in Donald Trump or, you know, Joe Biden, you know, Dementia Joe or Donnie Tiny Hands. Um, but I, but just, you know, it's to underscore what you said. It's so important for me. I mean, I'm a practicing Buddhist and we share that. I mean, I, I'm a tarot, I study Theravada Buddhism. I practice it. It's essential for my mental health. If I didn't mm-hmm. have that, I would just swan dive off the nearest bridge, you know. Um, and so... It's. I, I think it's very, very important that uh, that underscore. This is why people warn. Like, do you want to read this this book? You know, people will, will give warnings. Do you want to take the pill? Do you want to take it? Because don't take it if you're not ready to have like a spiritual practice that you can integrate this stuff into for your own sanity. Like, don't take right. it. And I think the scene with Morpheus, he's like he he, he warns him, right? He says, "Look, there's no going back, man. You ready for this? Are you sure you want this? You know." And so, I'm in total agreement that we've got to have a spiritual container to hold the, the, this, these explorations. Um, without it, I would rather just turn on the MSN, I, I, frankly, because they provide a container. It's ready-made, you know, and yeah. that container can be really important. Yeah. Yeah, I think for certain people, the and, and I'm t- again, I'm talking about people that I know, it's um, their faith or their spiritual aspect or component becomes kind of this anti-faith um, in the archons or in the they, they don't even need to go to that level like to, in the conspirators and the in the Rockefellers or the Rothschilds or whatever you want to say is is the center of the conspiracy like thinking that uh, um, these guys are evil but at least they make sense. At least they've got it all figured out, you know? There's something that makes sense behind it, you know? Is that like um, uh, Big Lebowski, you know, say what you will about the tenets of national socialism, at least it's an ethos? Yeah, at least it makes the trains run on time. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, exactly. That's that that kind of thing, you know? Um, There's some foundation, like that's that's the problem with the uh, the West or maybe the modern world in general is that we we got to the point where our traditions uh, were basically wiped out. Um, Educated people stopped believing in them, you know, because they their contradictions were too too great. Um, They didn't mesh up with science, but because of that, um, now we've got an entire culture that doesn't have a foundation to it. Right, and so, and so, there's this project, project, like you said, of looking for an ethos, you know, looking for something to ground us in, you know, and in the absence of that, for most people, uh, maybe it is a little bit comforting to think that there's a group out there of Illuminati or whatever, whatever their kind of uh, moral alignments that are sort of controlling things, you know, that there is a foundation somewhere out there. Um, Whereas in Buddhism, like you're saying, SJ, it's like the 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 primary thing in Buddhism is that there's no foundation, and you have to you have to sort of um, love that fact. You get to the point where you love the fact that there is no foundation. That you sort of dive into the the sea of like a, <laughs> just a, 
complete change in um, so yeah yeah I just threw I threw a story here in the chat you know there's this idea that above the 13 families is this alien being Pindar yeah so, yeah I've heard that. So, I mean yeah. I just I just wanted to put a name to that I think we've been kind of talking around this you know not necessarily the Pindar theory but something akin to Pindar and, I, and there's a picture of him. He looks like something from a sci-fi movie. You know, it's so or, funny that they call him Pindar because Pindar is like a like a poet, like a, a Roman poet, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine that guy. He he uh, he finds out that in uh, over two thousand years, he's he's actually the head of the Illuminati. You know. <laughs> 